Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody. This is Howard Fox for my co-host, Randy Ford. I want to welcome you to another edition of the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Ada Kennan. Now, Ada has multiple advanced degrees, including a PhD in psychology and master's degrees in psychology, education, and counseling. Ada has worked for 31 years as a school psychologist and counselor, and she's also a certified mental health professional. Ada has enjoyed traveling, gardening, and helping her husband, Dr. Walter B. Hammond, with his stress management and self-hypnosis business. Now, in the present day, Dr. Kennan has assumed an even more important role. She is the caregiver for her husband as he fights his battle with kidney disease and dialysis. As the author of Patient or Profit, Where is the Love? Now in its second edition, Dr. Kennan has a unique vantage point on which to shine a dose of reality on how we treat our veterans in the VA and commercial healthcare systems here in the U.S. Dr. Kennan, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast. Well, thank you, Howard, and thank you for having me on your show. Doctor, and if I can call you Ada, uh, if that's okay, you can call me Howard. (laughs) I will. All right. Dr. Ada, you know, I have to, in the spirit of full disclosure, my neighbor was a doctor and it was like impossible for me to call him by his first name, no matter how many times he said I could call him by his first name. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to call you Ada. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll do it. <laughs> all right. As a psychologist, you can tell what's going on with this man. Doctor, I wonder if you could, let's just start by painting a little picture of a little backstory about who you are, what you have been doing with your career. You're a little bit about your husband, how you met, and then kind of get into the present day, because I think it's important to provide a little context for the listeners on our podcast. Okay. Well, as you already stated, my background is very much as professional. I've had a lot of training. I've had a lot of uh, professional experience, both as a, a school psychologist in two states, Maryland and also in Nevada now for over 30 years, retired, and worked with a lot of people. My average caseload was usually 1,500 every year in numerous schools. I've had a lot of experience in terms of acquiring book learning, book knowledge. At this point in my life, the most important role that I feel that I fulfill is as a caregiver for my husband, who is fighting his battle with kidney disease, specifically end-stage renal disease. And most recently, we discovered that he had a heart attack last week during surgery to prepare his hemodialysis graft in his arm because it's blood clots, which is something that often happens with dialysis patients, Sure, but had a heart attack. So now we have cardio issues that we're, we're going through. So Howard, I'll, I'll have to say it's good that I'm retired from nine to five because I couldn't hold that now. And now I am... Um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week as his caregiver, and luckily, the author of our book, and so that means I can set up shop anywhere. As long as I have my laptop and a quiet place to work, uh, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a quick question then. How long has your husband 
been afflicted with the kidney disease and and the renal issues? Is this something that happened pre-retirement or right after retirement? How did that kind of raise the awareness in in your lives? No, not not at all. As a matter of fact, he had no no prior history of um, kidney disease. Uh, We moved here to Las Vegas in 1990, and both of us were still in relatively good health. You know, there were a few things that because of the aging process naturally were happening with us, but we were both active, doing a lot of things, planning on taking trips and living in the casinos and just enjoying the golden years. And then, whatever reason, he had to take a number of diagnostic procedures, for example, MRIs, CT scans involving contrast, otherwise known as gadolinium, you know, where they inject you before they can actually read the film. Right. And that's what kicked him into dialysis, into kidney failure. It was that contrast that killed his kidneys. You're saying that this procedure, this this procedure of injecting this dye mm-hmm. into, into his body is what kicked off these events. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And that was confirmed by his nephrologist. And it was something that you're not really warned about. Some people are more sensitive than others, but uh, in conversations with his nephrologist and other medical professionals about this, it's hit and miss. And at this point, had we known that something like that was possible, we would have insisted that they try to read the film, which they could do without the contrast. Oh my God. This stays in the body and it will destroy your your kidneys. That is Mm -hmm. amazing. Uh, let me ask you qu- yeah. uh, another question. What was Dr. Hammond's background? I mean, he was military. And- he was military. He's retired twice from the Army, both active duty and on the civilian side in terms of working with the uh, computer systems and as a, a manager. Okay. He was a World War II occupation and Korean War veteran. Okay. So he was in Japan when Korea broke out, okay. enlisted back in 1948, and came out of the Army in good health. Good okay. health. Amazing. And in the Army, was most of his care... Now, he went on to get a PhD as well. Uh, no, he has a Doctor of Divinity. Uh-huh. Doctor of Divinity. Okay, thank you. Yes. Uh-huh. With the military being retired, going on in, in extended education, where was he getting his health care services from? Was it the commercial health care system or was it through the VA health care system? It was through the VA health system. It was through the VA health system. Okay. Both of us were. But, you know... When things begin to change in terms of people being deployed overseas for all the wars and so on, the veterans, at least here in Nevada, were encouraged to try to seek medical treatment in the civilian arena because they wanted to more or less reserve the doctors and the equipment and the facilities at the base for active duty personnel and their family. So that's when we were formed out into the community and that's when our difficulty started. Okay. Were you both fortunate enough to have positions you know, that you could afford the commercial health care insurance? Yes, we thought that we had the best. He had Medicare and of course he had TRICARE for life. Okay. That's another concern. When he enlisted, the young people, age 18, around 18, were told that if they served and honorably retired, that they, as well as their dependents, would have free health care for life. Okay. They didn't get it in writing because what 18-year-old is thinking about getting anything like that in writing even today? 
Of course. And those promises were not kept. They were were victims of bait and switch. We uh, spent last year, for example, over $4,000 in addition to what was covered by Medicare and TRICARE for medical treatment. That's a great concern. Mm -hmm. Sure. Thank you for providing some of the the context to Dr. Hammond's earlier career. As Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're retired, you go in for these tests, this procedure takes place, and then things, bad things medically start to happen. How does the story pick up from there? And you wrote the book, Patient or Profit, Where is the Love? And start to fill in the context, if you could, about this experience that you're having and what has compelled you to write this very important book about what's wrong with healthcare and the systems in the, here in the U.S. and your lessons learned and your continued fight today. When I started writing this book, I was looking for a way to vent my anger and frustration over what was happening with him. He is the owner of his own business, Development of Relaxation Powers. He is a great stress management instructor. He uh, is a hypnotist, relaxation specialist. He has that background. And I've been a student actually in helping him for the past 30 years in the classes with the classes that he teaches. So he's more or less my mentor in that area. But what I saw happening, it was concerning to me. I didn't have anyone to talk to. There's information out there for caregivers, but there was nothing specific given what we were going through. And he suggested that, well, why don't you write a book? You know, you read millions of them. Why don't you sit down and write one about what you're going through, including information that would help other people? And I told him, I will do this if you will consult with me. You have the military background, 21 years difference in our ages. You have the experience in that area that I don't have and never could have. So if you will act as a consultant, then as a caregiver, we'll put our heads together, we'll work as a team as we always have, and we'll continue to. And uh, this was the product. When I started writing the book, I just wanted to write something that was a basic guide for caregivers. You know, what you should do, what you should have in your go-to bag, that kind of thing. But as I got more into the topic area, my anger and frustration grew with what I saw as abuse of a process that was meant to be used to help people and which was being used to create barriers between patients and what we needed to survive or at least to have a good quality of life. Sure. And that's the authorization process. Okay. Can you talk, and I'm just going to ask you about the, the anger and the frustration. Where did that come from? And so you just mentioned the prior authorization process. Tell us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. The prioritization process is the process that's used in order to qualify a patient as eligible for, say, prescription medication, certain prescription medication, or durable medical equipment, or a treatment are a service provision. There are good applications of it because certainly uh, you want to make sure that what you are requesting is appropriate for you. Yes, that's true. Medically necessary. Yes, medically necessary. However, it's the misuse comes when the insurance companies, the health insurance companies use this as a way to discriminate against patients who have a legitimate need for the 
the services or the medication, but who don't qualify for it because of their specific criteria. For example, in my husband's case with end-stage renal disease, one of the issues is having to control your cholesterol because if you don't do that, you might die of a stroke or heart attack just because of that. One of the medications that's great for doing this, and it does what it's supposed to do, requires that a cardiologist or a endocrinologist or an epidemiologist are the only three specialty areas that are sanctioned by the insurance companies to prescribe this, to request this on your behalf. In his case, his nephrologist was the one who recognized that there was a need for this medication and who advocated for him as his representative, who requested it, who indicated that it was medically necessary three times. It was denied three times. On appeal, it was denied three times. And the rationale was that, well, you don't qualify because your specialty area is not one that we recognize. Doctor, a question comes immediately to mind. So your nephrologist, he's on to something or she's on to something, recommends a course of action, claims get filed or denied. We know that from what you just said, the cardiologist and the two other professions, lipidologist, one other one you mentioned, are able to recommend this course of action. Where was the nephrologist and any one of these other specialties able to coordinate and to then go no. back? They no, can't. There, there was none. There was no coordination. There, it was as though because of the specialty area, the request or the information or, or the input was basically ignored. It was ignored. Like, you don't count. You don't matter. And that was a concern. That was a concern. One of the things that I'm hoping will happen because of writing this book is that it will ignite the spark that lights the flame to get a lot of the legislation going to reframe certain aspects of the prioritization process. And that's one of them. If you have a medical professional who is qualified, who is licensed to practice in a certain area, who knows you, who is in effect your case manager, who says that you should have access to a legal prescription medication, okay, to treat whatever a condition that you have and can base it on sound information, okay, that that person shouldn't be ignored. That person's request should be treated as valuable as those that the insurance companies are saying who have no knowledge of you will never know about you. In some cases, haven't even read your records, but are making decisions, life and death decisions about you. Sure. So I'm curious, I know from our prior conversations leading up to this podcast, there's lessons and education for other caregivers like you. But I'm curious initially, who in the medical profession, the political, the insurance, who needs to be targeted to be aware of this is where our system, our healthcare system is breaking down. This is what needs to get fixed. Who are the people you want to direct this book to? This book is directed to any citizen in this country because at any moment in time, you could become a patient. At any moment in time, you could become a caregiver. It's the luck of the draw. In my husband's case, for example, with these cardio issues, we had no indication at all that this would even be a concern. And one second it wasn't. The next second we were kicked over into that area. So everyone needs to be aware of this. 
it, the book is written by, yes, a caregiver with input from a veteran, mm-hmm. but it's for everyone who's concerned with the status of healthcare in America today. I'm finding that too many people either don't want to hear about it or in denial or are distracted because there are distractions that are out there that are geared toward keeping you from realizing that this is something that you need to be aware of and working on, not when you get sick. But when you are healthy and well and able to devote the time and energy to researching what you need to do in the event that something happens so that you will be prepared. I call it being in the eye of a hurricane. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're in the eye of a hurricane, everything is calm and you think things are fine. And then that backside hits you. And oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So when you're in the eye of a hurricane, that's the time to plan if there's any kind of issue in your family history, anything that you think might impact you at at any point in time. Plans need to be made. Research needs to be done. You need to get a game plan together and develop really the self-esteem and courage that goes along with advocating for yourself. I'm talking with many people, both as patients and as healthcare workers, nurses, technicians, uh, social workers, who are all of the same mind that these things are pervasive. The healthcare industry in this country is in trouble and it's in trouble because people are no longer the major concern. Profit, the profit motive is the major concern. I have a question then. I now become aware of the book, you know, knock on wood. I mean, I have a friends and family who have had a variety of issues. There's issues that kind of extend genetically in my family. If I need to start to prepare, and again, it's the last thing we want to worry about. We care about, I want to go on a vacation, go out for a nice dinner, et cetera. Right. Like gambling, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not, this is not an investment of time and effort or money on my mind. Who mm-hmm. are you recommending or where, what does the book recommend? Let me use the book as the, the, the source. What's the book recommending somebody who needs to start to perhaps pre-contemplate what some of these kind of what-ifs, who do we go to? Mm-hmm. You know, Howard, when you take your car in for its, its checkup, there are certain things that are automatically looked at. You look at the mileage, you look at the gas, you look at the oil, do these things need to be changed? You know, um, I'm dating myself here, spark plugs. <laughs> you know, I hear you. But there's certain things that need to that are automatically looked at. It's not that you, as a consumer, say it needs to be done, but there's a checklist that the mechanics use, and it's an annual kind of thing. In fact, they will send out notices. It's time for your checkup. You know, so many miles. You know, come in, and then you to death until you do it. Okay? Right. What we need to do, in my opinion, as patience in the world in which we live today is to be as interested in our own health as we are in our cars, as interested in our own health as we are in our shopping list, as interested in our own health and welfare as we are in what am I going to have for dinner tonight, okay? And the way to start doing that, okay, is, is to, first of all, assess your current situation, okay, health situation, look at your family background, Look at the kinds of things that, that given your family background and your own health might be a concern. Look at your age group that you're in. What are some of the things that people in a certain age group might need to be aware of versus other, you know, ages? 
okay? What, what is assuming more important because you're getting older, okay? Mm-hmm. And do your research. There's a world of research that's out there. I live with my laptop. <laughs> okay. uh, my husband says it's metastasized to my hip, and yes, it is. <laughs> because that, that opens up the world and, that, um, and questions things that you don't think about, that you never thought you would have to think about. They're there. Too many people are not at the level where you can even start thinking about questions you need to ask, let alone have the courage to ask them. Because what I'm finding is that the attitude that is assumed by medical professionals when you go into the office is that they're the professional and you're to sit and listen. And if you don't do that, then you are a bad patient and perhaps subject to intimidation to conform and to be quiet and to just do what you're told to do. Well, that kind of game plan might kill you, (laughs) especially in this day and age, because I'm finding that the whole person is no longer considered by any one specialist. They carve you up. Uh, The cardiologist has one piece of you. The endocrinologist has one piece of you. Primary care has another piece of you. No one wants to assume responsibility for coordinating you as a person. And I'm finding talking with caregivers that it's more the case where we as caregivers have to assume that role. That role. We're the ones who coordinate all the information. We're the ones that facilitate communication between specialists. So you've got to have your paperwork. Any paperwork, any lab test, anything like that, keep them. Keep your records. The book talks about how to do this. And, and why this was so beneficial for us to do, especially when we started to challenge what it was that the insurance companies said we could not have access to. You've got to have your documentation. And there's a way to do that so that it's coherent and it will stand the test because it it will be tested. Okay, so that's the first thing that we have to do. The okay. second is to have the courage to know that we can do it. So that's self-esteem. And the book talks about how you build that self-esteem, develop a good philosophy of life, okay, so that you can call upon that in the midnight hour when things look so dark that, you know, it seems as though it's impossible and you will not be able to do it. You've got to develop the courage to know that you can. And so this book is a a motivational tool and a survival guide. It teaches you how to develop the skills that you need in order to navigate that process. Doctor, this book is very powerful. We've talked about the approaches to working within the healthcare system, paperwork, keep it all, lab tests, make sure you have it, the documents, and your your book describes ways to to manage that content, helping the reader, the the caregiver, uh, understand the importance of courage and self-esteem. Where should the caregiver go to to find out more about this book. I mean, we're going to most certainly provide links back to it on Amazon. We've got links back to your webpage and you'll share that in just a minute. But Mm -hmm. if this this message is is far too important to just, okay, I wrote a book and I got a webpage, what other vehicles can we we craft that can get this message out that you're you're thinking about, you want to do? What how can we get this message out to an even greater audience? Well, one thing that that I suggest in the book is that I'm not hearing anyone, any politician, anyone in the position of creating legislation 
to turn this thing around, and specifically the prior authorization process and how it's being implemented, is that if they're not talking about that, don't vote for them. Contact your congressman. Contact your senator. Contact both people who are in a position to create legislation to reframe this process. People are talking about less expensive drugs, and that, that's good. People are talking about access to a greater number of sources so that, you know, you, you break down the monopoly of insurance companies, and that's good too. But what they're neglecting is that the prior authorization process crosses all parties. It's still broken. If, yeah, yeah and, and that's broken, and that's what needs to be fixed. If there is a formulary involved, which there is, from which a medication or a um, piece of equipment or a treatment plan must come from, then you're going to encounter the prioritization process, especially uh, in that medication is becoming more specialized, uh, more compounded, more costly. And that's just the reality of the time in which we live. So I suggest that people contact those who are in positions of power who can change this. But first, they have to be made aware of it. As you were been sharing this story, I wrote down and I circled it in red, 435 plus 100. 435 mm-hmm. congressmen, women, 100 senators mm-hmm. need to get a copy of this book. You know, or the individuals who are reading the book, you know, the, the caregivers who are, you know, th- are throughout the United States and towns mm-hmm. next door, apartments, buildings, you know, there's caregivers everywhere. And I think those caregivers need to not only read this book, which is, I think, very obvious. However, they also, we need to be able to share this with our state, local, federal legislators, government officials. Absolutely, because that's where change is going to occur. You know, and I think there's power in numbers. Sure. And if people can, can mobilize to do that, what's going to have to happen is that a new belief system about your ability to make a difference has to be created. And that's where I find that this book is very powerful, which I had no idea was going to happen when I started writing it. It just sort of morphed into that. But the more I thought about it, I said, you know, this is really helping people to create new belief systems. Well, you know what? To I, know that you have the power to do this. You're creating a movement in a way. This, this is a movement. There's no words to put in the challenges that you're faced by the issues you know, that are afflicting your husband. But the fact that you were able to, to write this book share this message, share your learnings is powerful. And so this equates to me that you are indeed starting a movement. Doctor, I'm I'm curious, two questions as we kind of get closer to the end of today's podcast. Number one is, how are you taking care of yourself? Because as you said earlier, this is a 24 by 7 job. You were expecting to be with your husband out traveling, eating, gardening, anywhere else in the world. Not, not to have to hang out in a ward in a local hospital. And so I can only imagine, even as a mental health professional, this is taxing. And so how are you taking care of yourself? I'm curious about that first. This journey has taught me that in order to survive and to take care of yourself, to take care of myself, I've had to realize that it, it really takes a village it takes a village. It takes a support group. People that I had, I've never met, 
once I start talking about this, it's like they're finding something to hang their hats on. It immediately invokes something within them and we start talking and there's a commonality. Well, Howard, what it's really taught me is, is that there are more similarities between people than there are differences. Almost definitely. There, there are more similarities. And those similarities have really triggered the support being given to me that, that I need in that, you know, the dark time, like one, two, three o'clock in the morning when it just hits you because there's nothing else going on and all of a sudden it hits you. Wow, this is the reality. There's nothing else that can be done. You know, a heart attack can happen any day. You know, you just go home and you just kind of wait and see, okay, and do the best that you can. There are emotions that are common to everyone. I see had people come up, you know, group hugs, <laughs> talking about how it, something similar might have happened in their own life experience, sharing strategies and things that, that got them through this. One thing that is very interesting that is happening is that I'm getting the idea for another book, <laughs> and it's about sanctuaries. In your time of need, in that, that hour when things seem to really not make any sense, where do I go, what do I do, you look for a sanctuary, you look for a place of peace. They're coming from the weirdest places, yeah? and, and how do you go there to calm yourself so that you can, again, start to think rationally and logically and strategically about what your next move should be rather than just you know breaking apart and, and figuring like there's no hope. Because I think once once you get to the point where you think that there's no hope, there's nothing can be done, especially as a caregiver, then all is lost. All is the lost. Patient, yeah, all is lost. The patient is the one depending upon you right. to intercede on their behalf because they're not able to. So I'm finding out a lot about what I like about myself, a lot mm -hmm. of strength that I didn't think I had because there was no reason for me to have it or show it because it was no... I wasn't in this situation. Those things are now coming to the forefront. They're, they're starting to manifest. And actually, I'm starting to really like the person that I see. Yeah. There's a quote that Brene Brown, the noted social worker and author, writes about. And it's a quote from, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, talked about the man in the arena, the woman in the arena. I mean, in, until you're mm -hmm. in the arena fight, fighting the fight, getting dirty and bloodied, you truly never know mm -hmm. what, you, what you're capable of. So if anybody's outside offering their two cents, their advice, unless they've been in the arena fighting the same fight you have been doing, then they truly are, are not going to appreciate the journey you've been on. And Dr. Al, I really want to thank you for you know, taking time out of your busy day. I, I know there are things you would much rather be doing, especially, you know, with uh, being with your husband and taking care of him. And, but uh, again, I want to thank you for letting us know about your book and your willingness to come onto the show. And I think this is a incredibly important message to share with our audience. Before we sign off, what is the best place for our listeners to learn more about you and your work. Is there a website they can go and visit? Absolutely. My website is www.247lighthearted-caregivers.com. Excellent. 247, which stands for 24 by 7, lighthearted-caregivers.com. Excellent. So we're going to put links to the website. And I know you also have a Facebook page. We'll put that on our show notes. 
We're also going to provide a link to the book on Amazon. I know it's in the second edition now, and this very important book and the message and the website, I think it's going to be a great way for individuals that are fighting the same battle in the same arena, and perhaps, you know, through your message and through your learnings can perhaps, you know, make somebody else's journey. Certainly not easy, but maybe through your work, save them a few steps or two. Doctor, thank you so much for spending time on your day on the Success Insight Podcast. And we are really grateful again for you joining us and sharing your your story and your husband's story uh, with our listeners. Well, Howard, thank you so much for having me. And I'm hoping that people will benefit from what I've written. And if that happens, then my purpose has been served. Folks, there you have it. We've been chatting with Dr. Ada Kennan. She is the author of Patient Profit. Where is the love? I want to encourage you to use our links, go out to Amazon, get a copy of the book. You know, if you know somebody that's a caregiver, this is the book for them. If you have local politicians, state level politicians, your federal representatives in the Senate and the House of Representatives, if they're not talking about health care and how to fix it, then they're not talking about a real problem here in this country that's going to continue to get worse. So I definitely encourage you to make this book available to people who need to be aware of it. And do go out to his website, 247lightheartedcaregivers.com, and we'll provide a link to that as well as our Facebook page. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day to our caregivers. You have a phenomenal day as well, where our hearts and our souls are are with you. There's help out there. So whatever we can do to support you, we want to be able to do that. Take care, everybody. Have a great day. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.